the um, Christmas story, uh, so much of it is found in, uh, in Luke chapter 2. And in uh, Luke chapter 2, shared about the 10th verse, about uh, talking about good news of great joy. In uh, verse 14, when the angels spoke to the shepherds, they said, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And really all through history, that peace, goodwill toward men has really resonated uh, with a lot of culture. And to where people believe that um, you know Christmas is seen as a as a time of peace. It's where people get drawn into thinking that you know we need to love each other better. There needs to be goodwill to men. There needs to be peace here on the earth. And one of the great historical stories is the one that's found in World War One and uh, 1914, as the uh, British and the French troops were fighting the Germans. And on the westernmost front, uh, over there in northern France and in Belgium, on what's called Flanders Field, they had dug trenches, and the uh, English had dug six to eight foot trenches, uh, long, long trenches, and they were sort of hunkered down. And then the Germans over here had dug their trenches and they were all hunkered down and so you know they'd volley a few shots at each other and then all of a sudden on Christmas Eve uh, the Germans began to decorate their trenches for Christmas and they took candles and they put them in the trees and began to uh, sing Christmas carols and they were singing Silent Night so they sang Silent Night well then the Scottish and the English over here they began to sing Christmas carols and, uh, and so they sang their carols. It's like a duel of Christmas carols going on there on the battlefield, there on, on Christmas Eve. And on that Christmas Eve day, then all of a sudden, people started making signboards that they would hold up. And they were holding up Merry Christmas. And over here, in some broken English, the German says, you no fight, we no fight. Okay? And uh, so after a while... Somebody just got brave and stepped out. They began to walk together into what was called no man's land. And they came together on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and they had a truce. And as they came together, they exchanged gifts. They found a soccer ball. They began to play soccer. And, uh, and there were some men that had been killed. And so they took the men and who had been wounded, and they had burials for them. And there was even one account that they had a burial on a man in no man's land and the two armies together cited passages from the 23rd Psalm. And after a few days, then they said, we got to get back to war. So uh, they got back in the trenches and began to fire a few shots and to begin to kick war back in. So it's famous. It's called the Christmas truce. And um, so many times when we think about peace on earth, goodwill to men, that, that's what a lot of people think of, that this is what God is wanting, is us just to have this truce, but that is a temporary truce. And when the angel was talking about peace on earth, it was beyond a temporary peace. It was a eternal peace. And the reason that we have strife and we're at odds with each other is because we're all at odds with God. Isaiah 59.2 talks about that our iniquities have separated us from God. And because of our sins, it says God has hidden his face from us. And so as long as man is in separation with God, there cannot be peace. 
And so you can't just have a, well, you can have a temporary peace, but you can't have a full-time peace on earth until every person has got a full-time peace with God. And so all throughout history, there has been this separation of God and man, God and man. And what is so special about the Christmas stories we talked about this morning is that what God did was when he sent his son, he sent his son to die on the cross for the sins so that they can, we can now bridge that gap between God and man. And then man can be reconciled to God and be at peace with God. And once we're at peace with God, then we can be at peace with others. You know, as Jesus was growing up in Luke 2.52, uh, it says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. He grew wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. And when you look at that, you cannot really grow in favor with man unless you first grow in favor with God. And so that's where the peace comes in. Once I grow in favor with God, then I get this peace and I have a peace with God. Then that allows me to have a peace with others. And so you look at the incarnation and, and what took place on Christmas, then it pulls us to tonight to where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And you start in Luke 2, but then I'd like for us to go to Luke 22. And in Luke 22, it's the account of Jesus and the Lord's Supper. It's an account of Jesus having that Passover meal with his uh, disciples, those that were closest to him. And in the midst of this meal... He does two things. He takes a, for us, as we look at this passage, we take a look back at the cross to see exactly what took place. And he says in verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I want to eat this meal with you before I suffer. Now, whoa, that opened up some eyes right there. What do you mean before you suffer? And it was before he was getting ready to go to the cross. It's before the beatings were going to take place. And so when he talks about before I suffer, he's getting ready to tell them the elements of this meal are getting ready to take on a whole new significance. In verse 19, it says, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is broken for you. And so what he's telling them, the beatings, the nails driven in his hand, this is being done for you. This is my body, which is being broken, is done for you. And then he came at the end of the meal, he had the cup. And he says, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The cup, that's the blood that is poured out for you. That is the blood that when they put the crown of thorns upon his head, it was the blood that was coming from there. It's the blood from his back, from the beatings and the scourgings. It's the blood that came from his, from his hands and from his feet where the nails went through. It's the blood that came from the side when he was pierced by the spear. All of this, he says, his blood has been poured out for you. And even his blood is poured out on an altar to cover the sins. So Jesus' blood is poured out to cover our sins and to provide forgiveness. And he says all this is, is because there is a new covenant, a new agreement between man and God. And in this new covenant that we have, it means that we are freed from the penalty of sin and we are reconciled with God and we can now be at peace with God because we have been purified from all sin.
There's this new covenant. And so it is the desire of each one of us to be at peace with God, our creator. And so Jesus says, I have provided the way for that to happen. And he said, through the beatings in my body and the blood that's being poured out, this is a new covenant, a new agreement with God. And there are no other sacrifices needed. It was all taken place. In just a few moments, we will partake of the Lord's Supper. And your celebration at the Lord's table will be a time to remember Jesus and his loving sacrifice for you. But at that same meal, he's also looking forward to his return. Because at this meal, he says in verse 16, he says, for I tell you that, in verse 16, for I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In verse 18, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he's talking about until that second coming, till he comes back. In the book of Revelation, it's called the wedding feast of the Lamb. And that is the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. What a special day that will be when we, the church, will be the bride of Christ. And there's that wedding feast of the Lamb where where Christ is the groom and the church is the bride come together for an amazing celebration. And if you looked in Revelation 17, verses 7 through 9, it describes the wedding supper of the Lamb. And, uh, and it says, okay, when Jesus returns, this is the incredible picture of Christ, the groom, and the church, the bride. And in verse 7, it says this, and the bride has made herself ready. That's us. We're the church. The bride has made herself ready, dressed in fine linen, bright and clean. That means we need to be ready for Christ's return, even as a bride needs to be ready for her wedding. Now, I've had an opportunity to conduct a lot of weddings and to attend a lot of weddings. And every wedding I've been in or every wedding I've conducted and been any part of, the bride has always been ready. Now, there are a few minor adjustments that need to be made. I know, oh, we've got to move this, change this. But she's ready. And she's ready to come down that aisle. And she's excited. And, and, and she looks as beautiful as she's ever looked before. And there's this glow and this excitement. We saw this just less than 24, about 24 hours ago over in the worship center. Janie Drake, Kevin Johnson getting married. And Janie Drake coming down the, the middle aisle there to come to, to get married. And, and you know when they play the music and the doors open and the bride, everybody turns and looks to see that beautiful bride as she comes walking down. And she's just glowing and she's all excited. And through the whole ceremony, she was just like, this is incredible. And, and she was ready, ready for that. And it says, this is the way the church is to be, is that the church, as the bride of Christ, is to be ready. And we are to prepare ourselves for our future as the pure bride of Christ. So we want to be clean. We want to be pleasing to him. We want to be dressed in the righteous acts as his obedient children. We need to be ready because Jesus could return at any moment. And I always love the people that say, he's closer today than he's ever been. Yeah, that's true. And tomorrow he'll be a day closer than he's ever been. But I think with certainty you can say, just looking at the signs of the times and all the prophecies and everything that's supposed to happen in Scripture, I mean, it, it could be close. You know, it could be close. And so what that means is not that we got to buy a bunch of books so that we can come up and, and lay out all the plan for exactly where he's going to show up. It is that we need to have our hearts ready because we want to be prepared as the bride of Christ. And so we're getting ready to go to the Lord's table. And when we go to the Lord's table, it allows us the opportunity to prepare ourselves. 
And by looking back at the Last Supper and the cross, you'll grow in your love and appreciation of Christ and for the sacrifice that he made for you on the cross. And by looking forward, you will realize that you and I, we need to get ready for the wedding feast of the Lamb. We need to be right with God. We need to be right with others, each other. And we need to have lives that are pure and undefiled. And so we want to prepare ourselves and our hearts as we get ready to come to the table. And so in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And in the midst of that prayer, I ask and pray that, um, that it would be a time of, of, for you and the Lord, to be a time of repentance, a time of confession, and to say, Lord, I want to be pure before you. And to get your heart prepared. And once your heart is prepared, then what we'd like is for you to come and and to go to any one of the stations over here. Some have chairs, some you can kneel, some you can stand. And um, as you come, at each table, you will see that there will be a a cup, and it'll have a wafer on it, and then the juice is there. You have your worship guide, which has got your scriptures on there and instructions of of what to do. And... um, as you take the wafer and have the scripture uh, and then partake of that, and the same with the cup. After you have that time, you can either come individually, you can come with a family or just some people that you've met, and you can come and, and just have that opportunity to, uh, to be together as a family. And, and if you're here, if you're a single adult, find some others, and they'll be more than glad to say, hey, just come with us and partake in this. This is part of the church family, part of our community. And as you partake of that, and then when you finish that, you've got the the plates here. And those plates are for you to dispose of your cups. So don't worry about putting the cups back in there. Just leave leave those on the the plates and uh, and then just go back to your seats. And so just a moment, we'll have a time where we do this. And then when we're finished, uh, Logan's going to lead us in a a closing song. And then we'll be through for the evening. So um, let me take just a moment, lead us in a word of prayer. And to get our hearts prepared, and as soon as we finish that, then we invite you to participate and partake in the Lord's Supper. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that um, that any time that we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, that we are to make sure that our heart is right and that our motives are pure. And so, Lord, in these moments... Each person here is lifting up their prayers to you. And Father, we want to take these few moments for us to confess our sins to you, to ask for forgiveness, and to have our hearts ready and pure as we come to the table.
And Father, as we come to the table, we exalt your son Jesus and thank you for his sacrifice on the cross. And we look forward to with anticipation of his return. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.